the notion that if you reframe what somebody else says or what even you think unconsciously or the market or technology throws up as an offer to yes and rather than yes but that does change the way you feel about the world hi this is the bring a brick podcast interviewing professionals from around the world who use improvisation in their work and in their life i'm your host john cooper My guest this show is Neil Malarkey. He's one of the founding members of the Comedy Store Players and has probably one of the most recognisable faces in the world of improv. He's got a string of well-known TV and movie credits to his name, but just as impressive is the list of businesses he's worked with where he's brought improv theatre techniques into companies like Barclays and Google. Neil, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. John, thank you for having me. Is, Is my introduction accurate? Is there anything I've missed out? No, I think that just about sums it up. I'm still a member of the Comedy Store Players. We started that in 1985. I was there last night. I'm there most Wednesdays and Sundays, unless I'm on holiday or unavailable through other reasons. And sometimes I travel around the world uh, teaching people some improv skills. Sometimes it's improv to help their creativity, communication, leadership, teamwork, or simple presentation skills. Okay, cool. Well, the, obviously the interview is kind of, we're going to dip back into your past a little bit and just talk about now. Uh, but when, when, you, when you started, it's kind of obviously you were one of the founding members of the, of the players, the store players. When was, was improv new at that point? Were you one of the few people using it as a, as a teaching tool or were there other people around you doing it as well? It was very unknown at that stage, in, in England anyway. It probably had waned from the uh, a high point, probably with Keith Johnston and the Royal Court uh, and so forth. But when we started in 1985, trying to persuade people to come and see an improv show was quite tricky. So the comedy store said, no, no, you can't do that. You, the first half would be stand-up comedians, yes. and we were only allowed to do the second half. But Mike Myers and Kit Hollerbach, who taught us these things, Kit had worked with Robin Williams and and others in San Francisco. Mike had been with Second City Touring Canada. So they taught us the games. They taught us the skills. Every Wednesday we used to meet and have a a day-long workshop where they taught taught a single yes and listening, character, object work, and so forth. And so it was fairly tricky to explain that to most people in London, myself included, because when I'd heard about... Omelette Broadcasting with Jim Sweeney, Steve Steen, Justin Case and Peter Weir. A friend of mine said they're fantastic, they're hilarious, they make it up as they go along. I said, oh, no, 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 no. They must take a suggestion and then push it towards an existing sketch they have. Mm -hmm. And she said, no, I I, I don't know how they could, I can't see they were doing that. And then Mike told me he was selling tickets for a show. I was doing a sketch show at the Gate Theatre in Notting Hill. And when I heard he'd worked with second city i was excited because i'd heard of the blues brothers uh bill murray dan Aykroyd, belushi whatever yeah and uh and alan alder and edward asner and gilda radner many famous actor writer wow. performer types had come from second city so he was astonished that anyone in the uk had heard of second city but i adored american comedy and still do so uh he said well this this whole ethos that started in the 1920s with Viola Spolin and picked up by her son, mm-hmm. which became Second City, and there are many others as well. But it's all about listening. It's all about treating what the other person says as an offer. 
Uh, and so I went and did a week-long workshop with Desmond Jones, who'd also been in Theatre Machine with Keith Johnston. Yeah. And I began straight away to think this is the future. This is, this is what I love. I, I was never that good at writing sketches. And here you are in a world where you could create things spontaneously. However, that was quite a hard sell for a few years until yeah. um, Dan Patterson and Hattrick created Whose Line Is It Anyway? on the TV, especially. Right. That's when it became very popular. So people could see, oh, I see there is a way of creating theatre spontaneously, and it's got a kind of energy that is unmatched by scripted stuff. Yes, we've, yeah. seen, we've, we've seen people ad-libbing when things go wrong or in a stand-up set. But mm-hmm. here is a whole form of theatre that is specifically improvised. Yeah. And so I began to be one of the comedy store players. So it was Kit, Mike, Paul Merton, me, Dave Cohen, then various other actors and comedians and writers would come along on our Wednesday sessions and say, can I have a go? Yeah. And uh, we had lots of great guests along the way. Uh, and it's sort of by 89... Don Ward, who owns the comedy store, said, yes. look, it's doing so well. Why don't you come and do Wednesdays as well as Sundays? We've just been doing yeah. Sundays up at that point. And we thought, oh, well, nobody's going to come. We can't split our audience in two. We'll just give it a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were sold out on the first night. And wow. uh, it just became one of those things that if you love it, you come a lot. And I keep meeting people who are now ancient types as old as me. <laughs> I used to come along as a student or yes. we used to come along when we weren't 18. One guy even said we, get, we used to get chucked out because we weren't 18. Go around the corner, change clothes with each other, swap and come back and say, yeah, yeah, I'm 18. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's uh, crazy. And you had to be 18 because it's licensed premises. Yeah. And then people said, yeah, I was a student in London and for my three years I'd come every week. Students get in cheaper still. Um, on the other hand, you have people who've got no idea what improv is mm-hmm. or they may have seen whose line is anyway they had no idea that it exists still uh, performed by the comedy store players twice a week and indeed many many others around the world and london uk certainly yeah. quite different from how it was when we were starting yeah, uh, yeah. even today because i'm always finding people on twitter who are saying we're doing a course so the free association mm-hmm. uh, group today they've got classes of four levels beginners advanced working yes. on scenes yes. doing the herald and there are many people all around the country certainly around the world where america and canada are way ahead of us in this but um, only last night somebody came along uh, a, a lovely lady called the uh, bridie connell who has just been in the new version of Whose Line Is It Anyway oh, in well, Australia. Okay. Yeah. She's visiting her brother, and she said, oh, I, can I just meet Josie Lawrence, who's obviously one of her hero heroines. And uh, it was just great to meet somebody who's continuing uh, across the other side of the world to spread the word of improv. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be like, I mean, one of the things I've come to, to kind of acknowledge is this kind of global reach of the thing. Um, and it's fascinating there. You say that yeah, obviously there obviously there are still people who've never heard of of what what improv is. Um, pick it up on on that on on what you're saying there. I'm just going to take you back to to something that you mentioned earlier on. Um, you you were going out and kind of you were saying it was a hard sell before the days of whose line is it anyway? And 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 even now, I think when I mean certainly in my experience of of some of the training sessions, that whose line even though the classic whose line when it was on terrestrial TV is a long time ago now, but obviously it gets repeated a lot. That still has to be like a touchstone to give people a reference of what 
improv is because it's hard to ex- it's it's not the kind of thing you can explain in a kind of elevator pitch. So how did you back then to kind of in a long winded way get to my question? How before the days of Whose Line when it was in its infancy, you said it was a hard sell. How did you get across to people what it was you were doing? You had to do it sort of one by one, but in in Time Out, which was the bible then of theatre, cabaret, comedy, we called it, uh, Kit Hollaback said, let's call it comedy to go. Okay. Uh, like takeaway comedy. Yeah. So trying to get the sense of it, and so we'd say spontaneous, we'd say improvised in our listing as opposed to stand-up. So gradually, gradually, people did get uh, a sense of it. And then we get groupies who come along every week, uh, and then twice a week, uh, and that still continues. Now we have people that we recognise who... When you say to the audience, who's been here before? Maybe a third to half to two thirds, depending. Uh, I say, I've been once before. And then some will say, I've been more than 10 times. And then there's some people at the front who've been hundreds of times. And um, I'm glad to note that there's uh, another couple getting married this April. Uh, there are several people who've married getting to know each other because they they're in the Comedy Store Players audience together. Right. Uh, wow. <laughs> however, that isn't the cell we're trying to focus on everyone. <laughs> life partner. So you had to explain it in the listings, improvised comedy, spontaneous comedy, made up on the spot. Yeah. All of these words that nevertheless, and even now I get people who've seen the show more than once and I meet, bump into them on Sunday afternoon and they say, what are you planning for this evening? And I think you've seen the show. I can't plan anything. Or they they say, oh, you've got, must have some good Donald Trump material. No, we don't have material. And also we're not particularly good at satirical. That doesn't quite fit our world so that's brilliantly done by mock the week and have i got news for you where they can yeah. kind of structure or think about or edit some interesting pieces that, yes. the, that the host does or whatever uh where paul plays his game of he goes off on strange it's a real rants uh, mm-hmm. with have i got news which doesn't necessarily rely on being satirical and, and if we did a sketch in the oval office we wouldn't be able to make it that funny uh, it's much more about daily life or getting absurd and surreal. Uh, so it's still amazing to me that those who've seen the show still don't quite get it, that they think I must be thinking, oh, I'll do a, I'll do a Donald Trump reference. I'll, I'll, I'll do this gag. I'll mention Brexit. And if we do, and we, we often do, but it's not, it's just a, an aside. It's an mention. Yeah. It's not a, a sketch. And it's certainly not something that you're, planning ahead of time because the it's very hard to explain but the ultimate joy of improv is i don't know what i'm going to say you don't know what you're going to say and i don't know what you're going to say and that joy that uncertainty vulnerability if you are confident in the process becomes just joyful and in and world fulfilling and inspiring which um people say so arthur smith when he comes to see a comedy store player show He'll yeah. say well, the audience feels different when you pop in uh, from a stand-up show because mm-hmm. the stand-up show, the audience is kind of thinking, I know they've done this act before, they'll do it again tomorrow night. Whereas with us, it's we are in this together. And people say to me, what happens if you can't think of anything to say? And I say, that often is the most wonderful thing. You say something, you you kind of think, I don't know where that came from. Or you go, and which is as fun as anything. Somebody... Like Josie will say, she plays a, an astronaut, and she'll say, we must get to Sector C with the Vivacon Neutralino bingo. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. that's much funnier than if you had a real astronaut telling you what the science is. Yes. Um, yes. And the audience knows and enjoys her enjoying not knowing. 
which at its sort of profound level is about something sharing our human fallibility. But our podcast may not be able to cope with such profundity. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so obviously you, you're part of the players and you do that regularly. And you, you, you also go out and do the training as well. Um, and the workshop and you take, you take this stuff into offices. Um, I mean, you've been doing it for a long time now. Um, how, what, what does an average, what does an average week look like for Neil Monarchy? It varies. Uh, so the possibilities might be a half day coaching somebody who mm-hmm. is preparing a presentation or is thinking, look, I'm pretty good at my job, but I don't know how to present myself, my personal impact, my personal effectiveness. How yeah. do I show up in meetings where I think I should have a voice, but somehow I feel a little bit shy? Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it can be speaking. So I'm off to Barcelona in a couple of weeks to speak to 500 people who are in a publishing conference. Wow. Uh, I've got an hour to teach them the basic skills of improv. Mm-hmm. Now I'm talking to another company about doing the thing the week after an hour is very short but i like to do a day with people so i might have a a a whole day we might do on a wednesday at the comedy store so they get to learn some improv skills then we might go to storytelling we might do some forum theater which is sort of applied improv which is we act out some of the stuff that is pertinent to their jobs yes yes Uh, and then they go away have dinner and they come back uh, or they stay for dinner at the comedy store and we they see the show and they're they watch us doing the stuff I'm talking about, which is accepting offers, building off offers. Yeah. Uh, yes. And, uh, uh, noticing when yes, but creeps in mm-hmm. and, uh, how, how did that, that work for us? And they say, you actually are doing it. You actually really are listening, accepting and giving offers. And it works beautifully. It's not about, uh, just, Oh yeah, that's a good idea. I'll go with that. It's kind of, yes, that's a good idea. And here's the ma- how to make it even better. Yeah. So do you, do you mostly focus on the fundamentals when you teach people? Or? Each session is unique in terms of um, how big is the group, how long is my session, yeah. what are the particular issues that uh, we need to think about. So is it two teams who are being brought together? Yeah. Or uh, I often work with an ad agency and the client. Okay. The cli- how do we speak to each other? How do we create a positive environment rather than, one which is uh, the client saying, no, this isn't good enough. And the agent saying, oh, you're so restrictive. Give us a chance to be creative, which are the sort of cliche uh, ways of describing that relationship. So getting people to enjoy ambiguity and uncertainty. So yeah. basically yeah. saying just a very simple idea of what is an offer. Uh, yes. Life is full of offers. As Rob Poynton wrote in his brilliant book. Have you heard of Robert Poynton, who was part of On Your Feet? His book is called Everything is an Offer. And what does that mean in terms of day-to-day, in terms of organizations, yeah. uh, talking to our customers, talking to each other? So it's fairly fundamental. If we get a little bit uh, profound, I might look at a, a tilt. Yeah. Uh, what is a tilt, which is sort of when a scene is going well, you might throw in a slightly curved ball, but it doesn't negate what's gone on so far. But it's getting that sense of what a story is. It's not just a sequence of events. Yes. There's uh, emerging themes there's a heroine, a hero, uh, some story structure in terms of shapeshifter, mentor and stuff. But that gets – that's fairly deep. Um, structure of simply a presentation sometimes. Um, but really, people like the notion that if you reframe what somebody else says or what even you think unconsciously or the market or technology throws up as an offer – 
to yes and rather than yes but that does change the way you feel about the world yeah that's pretty fundamental communication wise there's there's so much i'm 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 finding it hard to keep track because there's so much nice stuff coming out from what you're saying um just in, in terms of that thing where you're saying you would you would what mediate between an ad agency and the client so you're, you're effectively the communication glue between the two things. Well, um, I, I, in, in three hours, you know, say that I might have with them, I, I wouldn't say that I am the glue, but I'm introducing them to the idea that they can have a creative relationship, and they often do already, but this is yeah. how, how to make it more creative sort of day in, day out. Yes. So I, I, I tease them slightly. With other organisations, people in the you know the back office, if you like, compliance, yeah. regulation, accountants, HR, support. How do you see yourselves as contributing as as valuable an offer as the what you know the, the supposed sexy ones, creative sales, marketing? Yeah. And of course, without you, the, the whole thing would fall to pieces. So how, how do we create what could be seen as a yes, but? function yeah. like legal or compliance or procurement yes we frame them as a yes and and it's often just getting in a bit early yeah uh, uh, which is okay what could we do rather than later down the line oh you tell me you can't i can't do that well if only you talked to me a few months ago we'd have found out what the yes ands are mm-hmm. as opposed to the yes buts so it's just gently uh pulling out the improv themes and then challenging them to say well what does that look like in your world and also recognizing it's okay for me to get up on a sunday and wednesday with my chums in the comedy store players we can go into flights of fancy and be rude and silly and nonsensical yeah but if you're working for the government uh Mm -hmm. you're working for a big company and you've got to worry about the bottom line maybe you can't think like that but actually what are the areas where you could be more creative and i was reading a harvard business review thing the other day about collaboration yeah and the, the problem with collaboration is you could spend hours meeting and chatting and nobody gets any decisions made nobody gets things done yes whereas actually with the comedy store players we do get things done we do have a structure we do know we have to deliver 7 30 on a sunday uh, eight o'clock on a wednesday so within the apparently chaotic world of improv there's there is a structure Yes, we have we we have a quarter of hour interval. Uh, we have to finish two hours after curtain up, roughly. Uh, yeah. We we know that the comedy store has taken care of the stuff that allows us to be creative in that two hours that we are on stage, and also shared responsibility. Somebody was will take responsibility. Say, freeze! Can we have another film style or something like that? So it's not just this is a mess. This is chaos. Because mm-hmm. actually, when you see an improv show, and there are so many wonderful improv groups out there who are doing narrative uh, doing musicals like showstoppers yeah we're not aiming towards chaos we're creating structure in terms of narrative yes and yeah, threads yeah. yeah and that's what we actually people after a while that's why we do a, a narrative uh, in the first section of our second half we do a half hour musical yeah which is continually looking for how do we create structure so we want to have threads we want to have a quest we want to have a character reoccurring and so I've done a lot of looking at what story means to us. And there's a great book called Story for Leaders okay. by David Pearl. David Pearl as an oyster. Uh, yeah. Pearl. And uh, so he comes from the world of improv like me. And he's part of Impropra, who do improvised operas. 
Um, so he's looking a lot about what story, because a story says much more than a PowerPoint. Uh, yes. my, my story, your story, our story, the story of where we got to, the story of where we're heading, which involves emotion, involves visualization, imagination, rather than just his my Excel spreadsheet. Yes. And those things that improv taps into are much more inspiring, motivating, more human than, okay, here's our, here's, here are the numbers and the targets. Uh, there is a phrase which has been attributed to Peter Drucker, like Drucker, but with a D for Desmond, yeah. uh, which is culture eats strategy for breakfast. I think what that's saying is that an organization which has a good culture in terms of how people feel about it, how people feel about one another, yeah. will do well. Whereas you can have great strategy, uh, but pe people don't buy into it or buy into the organization, you may struggle. Now, of course, the reality is a bit like improv in a way. You, you could have yes and uh, all the way, but actually we're always heading towards, okay, what's the resolution? Uh, as Mike Myers used to say to us when he was teaching us, yeah. why, why have the gods of improv chosen this scene today? So it's not just, hey, there's a thing. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I know, man. Yeah. It's non-specific. Yeah. You said specific, specific, specific. Why is it that we've alighted upon this story today? Mm -hmm. What is our character learning? How does she change in the course of this scene? All stuff which is quite um, structured. Yes, uh, yes. And it's not just chaos. It's actually creating something which the audience will buy into over and above gags. Yeah, uh, yes, certainly. And, uh, uh, whilst we do do funny at the Comedy Store, we will do cheeky asides, uh, we are trying to sense that character, relationship, yes. narrative, yeah. emotion will drive a more entertaining show than people who step back from the scene comment and don't commit. Yeah, yeah. I, I find it very easy to get caught up in, in, in narrative. I recently did a long-form workshop, and I did a workshop ages ago with the BBC about narrative structure, the hero's journey, where yeah. you have like the antagonist, the protagonist, and the stakes, and the MacGuffin, and all these things. And it's kind of like I find myself in long-form looking for these things, and it's kind of, you doesn't, even if you find them, you can't necessarily do anything with them because it's going to go where it's going to go but it's kind of like you know at what point you're not, not you're not consciously applying structure but structure is there yeah i mean that's what people uh, people sometimes say is, is you kind of know that most stories will end up with the treasure being found yes or, or the princess and the prince together mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. uh loss daddy dies yeah uh, or the treasure is lost forever uh, it's 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 harder to to kind of get to a, a, a sad ending, but sometimes when we do a Shakespeare, everyone dies. Yes, uh, <laughs> which is how how it ends with Shakespeare sometimes. So you're aware of it. You're not thinking from the moment one this is an X story, but you know there's only about I don't know. People say there's seven stories. I can't think what they are now. Basically, it's it's love, food, power, sex. <laughs> that's an incredibly way of boiling it down to the basics wow well yeah, uh, you, my yeah. uh, my my daughter did a comedia dell'arte project mm -hmm. uh, and so much i discovered from comedia dell'arte has been kept alive by improv you have stock yes. characters you, you have high yes. status you have low status yes absolutely uh, and you have the lovers you have the uh, the pompous captain you have the cheeky servant Mm -hmm. And they basically the, the most of the uh, stories were uh, love, food, power. 
and maybe food and power even are the same thing uh yeah and maybe love is power i don't know but if you kind of head for those you know that there's going to be a bigger theme that uh, will help the story yes and of course you know that it's fun for the course course of love to be impeded mm-hmm. uh, it's much more interesting if you don't get the treasure in the first act yes. uh, you, you, we don't we don't we don't articulate this very much and we uh we aren't deliberately thinking of, of this in the way you would uh, like somebody building a house or building a machine it kind of emerges oh that's a that's an interesting opportunity uh that he notices her or that moment where the power seems to shift the status uh we know these things but we we try to hold them lightly right yeah oh yeah yeah that's a really good point um in in terms of obviously you've been you've been performing with with the store for so long that all these things that you've like amassed over time and there's just a wealth of stuff in what you're saying um you you must be really comfortable performing with with all the players for doing it so long how do you keep it how do you keep it fresh for yourself so that when you go into the training arena it's it's fresh for you and it's fresh for the people that you're doing it with well certainly when you're teaching people it's fresh every time because they don't know what they're doing and the joy or some might i suppose but they, they have not perhaps encountered this and my greatest joy is working with people of different shapes sizes confidence or or introversion or not yeah so i might for one of my so i might get five people up and i try and get the young person the older person the cocky bloke uh who yes. thinks he's going to be funny and of course he's not listening he's trying to do gags mm-hmm. He, mm-hmm. in the one a story where you have to do one word at a time he does three words yeah and yeah. didn't even realize in the yes and game he says yes but uh so yeah. and and it's about the process not the content and of course it's the shy person who who may not be so noticeable in in the organization who i adore seeing her or him achieving something wonderful on the stage because i feel it makes them flower in every part of their work if not their lives yeah, uh, yeah. and also uh, and the one who is a bit of a non-listener but thinks he's the center of attention yes does get to think oh hang on a minute am i driving this am i actually listening um as return as regards the comedy store players we do throw throw in curveballs on stage we try to uh, sometimes create different kinds of reality we go out into the audience uh but i'd say in terms of sustainable freshness it's really wonderful to welcome new guests right yeah so yeah. we have learned a lot for example in the last few years from some wonderful guests that we've had like Cariad Lloyd okay Pippa Evans mm-hmm. Ruth Bratt Joseph Morpurgo who are great performers who come from ostentatious or showstoppers yeah uh, Kirsty Newton who's a great pianist she's come from playing with other groups as well so we try we try to keep it fresh with different people yeah uh, we have people who've been with us for for a long long time like Neil Ashdown who's also an improper yeah uh, Steve Steen Stephen Frost who played with us for a long time but again they bring a different kind of energy and they keep us on our toes because they don't let us just do the stuff we always do. Yes. It's it's always joyful to have Phelan McDermott from Improbable Theatre also now with of devoted and disgruntled. Uh because he brings a certain theatricality and character and object work that we sometimes forget to play. 
Mike McShane, Greg Proops, when they're visiting from the States, again, yes. we're reminded that they can be funny and really pure, if you like. Yeah. They play, they play the scene. They play the characters. They commit to the dialogue, uh, to the story. So that's how we keep it fresh. Yeah. Um, uh, on the other hand, it's always wonderful to go into a, a new situation. I still do teach would-be performers as well. Okay. And, uh, and see how they've been taught elsewhere. I think, oh, yeah, that's, that's great. That's something I can, I can take from. But when I teach uh, non-performers, if you like, or those who don't have an improv background, it's fresh every time. And you can see that they are delighted by the yes and or having to work hard to explain to them why yes and is not just uh, whatever acquiesce. Yes, and you're great. Yes, and you're marvellous. Right. The and to be pernickety, pernickety, uh, the and is really important. Yes. You don't yes. just go yes and that's great. You go yes and a really precise, specific offer based on what I heard. Yeah. So, so I'm actually writing a book at the moment on soft skills. Even that, I'm not sure whether to call it not so soft skills, <laughs> um, because uh, really listening isn't just saying yes; it's having a good and. Yes, there was an interview that I did uh, recently, and the the, the interview he was saying there was a guy called Richard Pascoe, and he said it's not so much the yes and; it's the dot 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 between the yes and the and. It's what happens between those two moments, and I thought yes. that was a an interesting comment. Yeah, that's good. Actually, uh, Richard Pascoe I met years ago when he was working at Procter & Gamble. I must listen to that. It looked fascinating, as do all of the other people whom you're interviewing. So I, uh, I must get my headphones on quickly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you've briefly mentioned uh, the alphas in the room. It's kind of obviously if you, you do stand up like I do stand up, you're aware of if you're in a room, there'll be an alpha, the one person who will not kind of naturally gravitate towards your leanings and will want to challenge um do you find that because of your experience and your status and your exposure you you get you you have these alphas in the room when you're when you're training where they'll want to you know are they intimidated by you or distracted by your credentials you know just like you're <laughs> trying you're trying to teach them and go oh what's mike Moyers like or anything like that where they kind of go off topic or challenge you in uh, way? <laughs> yes to all of the above I suppose I, I do arrive with uh, uh, a certain thing that they may have presumptions about, that I'm going to be hilarious all the time or whatever, because if you come from comedy, you must be snapping gags all the time. And so mm -hmm. I, I, once, I often do conference calls ahead of mine on my workshops, and the, the other day somebody said, oh, are you going to be funny? <laughs> uh, I said, yes, because luckily she said, because we had Guy Browning last year, who's a very funny writer and performer who writes about business and he, yeah. she said well he was very serious in the meeting but then when it came to the performance he was hilarious and i said well, yeah we kind of turn it on when we have the the pre-show conference call it's about okay what are the themes who are the people yes what's going on we don't want to be doing the gags there as it yeah. were we want to yeah. we're preparing but in terms of the people who might um should we say push back on the improv notion say yes but I'm happy to, to, to hear them because I want them to contribute. Right. I don't want them to think this is all hippy, hippy, fluffy, fluffy, let's all hug and say yes. Yes. It's, yes, it's, yes. And, and when they see a show, it's not like that. It is. We're dealing with conflict. Uh, we have creative tension. Which yes. way will the, will the scene go? And the joy of it is that all six performers work as a team but remain individuals. Right. Um, so, yeah, people will say to me in the coffee break, what's Mike Myers really like? Uh, 
what was it like to be on the set of Austin Powers? Um, and I can say, well, Mike Myers is as funny in real life as he is on stage. On the other hand, when he's busy doing thing that, things that require work, he's the hardest working man I know. Uh, he really does want to make what he performs and writes the best possible. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, you've got to realize it didn't just arrive. He doesn't get get drunk and think of a few gags, which is, I think, what pe- some people might think comedy is, is um, that. And it's funny how often people say, hey, you know, you, they'll, you, they'll enjoy the show. They'll have had a few drinks. And I say, could, I, could they not have a few drinks? Yeah, no. What, no. Uh, what, uh, what professions do you want the customer to have had a few drinks? And I'm thinking it's prostitution and gambling. <laughs> yeah, I I was backstage. I was backstage at the comedy store in Manchester last night, and no one was drinking. It was new stuff night. Everyone was doing yeah. new material. Nobody was drinking. Everybody was sober as a judge. Yeah, well, you don't you, you don't want to be drunk yourself, and you don't really want the audience to be uh, drunk, really, because then no. they lose uh, inhibition. Uh, they're less intelligent. And uh, they start just saying things that they don't even understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, that's the, uh, the the thing to think about. Is I say to people, look, this is training. This is not me doing jokes. I will do an after dinner and I'll do my alter ego, Elvon Spencer, whose motto is "Don't be needy, be succeedy." But I was going to mention that. Yeah. Even, even if I have him, I say, can I go on before ten o'clock when everyone's a bit tired and wants to go to bed or get off with each other or go dancing? Um, but, yeah, I do get people saying this is different from how the world is. Uh, I do get people saying I don't see how this works in my world. And that is the engagement that I want. Uh, it's those tough crowds sometimes that give me the greatest satisfaction. I once had to do a, a day-long workshop on feedback. It was called Effective Feedback. Mm-hmm. And I go in the room and it's all men of my age and older. Right. <laughs> okay. So I'm already thinking, eek. Uh, and they don't think that this is about... Uh, they should give better feedback to their people. It was really, people of 20, 30 or so, they don't want to be just told, get on with it and I'll tell you when you get it wrong. They want to be told, hey, that was great and recognise when they've done well, give them some guidance. Um, Whereas a lot of people from uh, a certain background, they were brought up with, get on with it and Mm -hmm. uh, keep your head down and I'll tell you when you got it wrong, rather than something more more positive and humane and <laughs> interactive and so uh, this was a tough crowd for me because so i say hello I, I i'm going to do some improv with you isn't that marvelous and they're thinking who is this, <laughs> who is this role play twerp yeah because they people hate role play uh generally they just they're, they're fearful of it because they don't want to be exposed mm. yeah and so i had to gradually introduce them to the idea of what it, how do we give feedback and the thing that opened up for them was Tell me somebody who gave you some feedback, a teacher, a mentor, a parent, an early boss, an employer. And that's when we we got to it, when they could think of concrete examples. And so that's why, yes, I do get people saying, I don't quite get how this. And I say, well, tell me what it looks like. What are the offers you get at work? And in improv, as you will know, we talk about the idea of a block. A block is when somebody doesn't pick up your offer. They turn yeah. you down. They, they they deny your reality. And I'll say, tell me about those in in life. And maybe then start thinking, who are you blocking? Who are you yes butting as opposed to yes ending? And how does that how does that feel? So that's how you're uh, introducing that to them as a kind of give them yeah. concrete, go backwards, get some concrete advan- examples, and then bring it forwards into the present context of what yeah. you're doing. So I, I every 
workshop is different. Although I have a rough scheme of how I would do it, and I always humbly start from, look, I come from the world of improv theatre, and it actually started with children and a social worker, and she was helping them to be more confident with their communication skills. Uh, yes, it's led to whose line? It's, yes, it's led to what looks like a form of comedy, but it's actually something older and more profound than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always work with what they give me. And I'm always asking, okay, tell me what happened in the game. Okay, tell me how did the exercise go? How did you feel? Was it annoying? Was it delightful? Uh, okay, and how does that then apply to what you might do tomorrow back at work? So I never ground it in uh, something cl- in the cloud. It's always, uh, okay, let's play the game. Let's stop and think how, how the game could get better. Then let's think how the daily life work could get better yeah yeah and as as you've mentioned you've mentioned you've got an extra layer to this because obviously you've got elvon spencer who is who is a character and and to what degree is that parody and or adding to how (laughs) you can then you know educate people as to as to the uses of the of the skills well, uh, he, he's, he, he's entirely different from me. Uh, I gave him a de- different name, and he has a different costume, and he has a ponytail. Yeah. So people sometimes get confused and think, your te- Elvon Spencer teaches people? No, he is a comedy character. He's like Al Murray. He's like Alan Partridge. Yeah. Uh, he's the world's worst motivational guru, and uh, so he's great fun for me to play because he does all the things that I couldn't possibly do. Yes. But, but he is based on that sort of pomposity that I've seen both in show business and motivational speakers and in business in general. Yeah. People who, people who think they know the answer uh, are telling others what to do with their lives and their lives, their own lives are in a, a mess. Uh, but I can get away with a lot of cheekiness in that. Uh, it's based upon actually a thing called provocative therapy, which is you tease people okay. uh, about their limitations. But I, that, that would be making it more profound than it deserves. So right. I would occasionally occasionally do a day of improv go away come back after dinner as elvon spencer and i've done that a few times and that's yeah. that works well in uh, to, to my delight occasionally people will say i didn't realize it was you because uh, <laughs> uh, i come back after i've been in the character and, and they, well, what are you still doing here? i said well didn't you see me doing that character was that you now this is a tribute to uh costume Yes. And my director I had a really brilliant director called Alexis Stones, who, when I was rehearsing Elvorn Spencer for the Edinburgh Festival, yeah. she would always say, stop it, that's Neil, get Neil out. So Elvorn Spencer, when I try, uh, make his physical actions, uh, his physique, his yes. movements, his, his delivery different from mine. It can't be that far away. And when I'm improvising, I will slip into Neil a bit. But yeah. uh, I try and make him very very different and it's a tribute to her really getting on my case about how to make him different that people didn't realize it was the same person it's it's fascinating Um, as well it tells you a lot about how people take information and as well isn't it like visually and auditorial in terms of like yeah it's if you really look then yes of course it is you but it's kind of how are they taking the stimulus in in, yeah. in other ways um, yeah. yeah so li- literally I can do a thing with a duffel coat similarly because I do character comedy and people oh, will, yes. not, will not recognise that it's yes. the same person um, <laughs> and, and that fascinates me it's kind of like how can yes. you not how can you not see um, yeah but yeah, um, yeah it, it, it's interesting that um, okay we're going to kind of slowly wrap this up 
Um, is there is there any are there any hot topics in terms of the training work that you do when you go out to businesses? Because that's kind of what the Bring a Brick podcast is about. It's about the work as well as kind of the lives of the people. Is there anything that you're observing at the minute that are kind of you're, you're getting called on to do that seem to be particularly prescient at the minute? Well, uh, there's a thing called Agile, which is have you heard about this? I, uh, yes, ad- fleetingly, but not in any software. detail. Software. It has yes. a lot in common with improv in terms of flat hierarchy, saying okay. yes, uh, not blocking, and if an idea doesn't work, you don't feel a failure. You, 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 they call it, you put it in the backlog, it's helped us understand in which direction to go. Mm-hmm. So there's a man called Paul Goddard, Paul K. Goddard. Yes, I've met Paul. His Twitter. Oh, there you go. So he's written a book about improv and agile. So he's an agile coach. So that's a specific area where uh, improv is shall we say at the forefront of people's thinking and it's not yes. nowadays as people are looking at agile not just for software development but how how organizations organize themselves mm-hmm. uh, how to remain nimble uh, and how to encourage creativity where it would appear that a very hierarchical organization does not okay. uh, so so that's one thing so so also have you heard of vuca no, I've never heard of well, VUCA. It's, it's time you did. Uh, V-U-C-A. Let me try and remember. V-U-C-A, all. okay, yeah. Vulnerability, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. Oh, that sounds interesting. I've not heard of that. I must look into okay. that. Okay, so that is the new the new rock and roll. Uh, everyone's talking about VUCA, darling. Okay. Uh, because we live in a world that is vulnerable, that is uncertain, yes. that is ambiguous. More so and than ever. Complex. And even thinking about what you watch on the telly now, uh, do you even do you even look at the TV listings? Uh, I don't look at the TV listings very often now. It, it makes no. me depressed when I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but on the other hand, you may have uh, Netflix or Amazon Prime, and think, that's what. I, yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, yeah. You might think, well, I can't watch all of that. There's so much I want to see. Yes, Quick, sign, yeah. Every episode of Seinfeld is now available on Amazon Prime. Yes. Uh, which is unthinkable because you know three years ago I was thinking I need to, I think I need to watch every Seinfeld again because I've I'm now going through Frasier uh, mm-hmm. and have the last couple of years and thinking maybe it's time for Seinfeld because I love Frasier I love Seinfeld yeah and you think I'll buy the DVD box set it's a lot it's, I don't know say seventy quid which is what Amazon Prime costs you for a year now yeah so that's yeah. one b- strange thing that's completely changed um, how do we look at the fact that I was reading the other day about the American economy, mm-hmm. something like 85% of job losses over the last generation have been not because of outsourcing to other countries, but because of technological innovation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, futurologists will tell us that 50 plus percent of jobs that currently exist won't exist in, I don't know, 10, 15 years time. Yes. I, I saw a speech. You said, don't let your children become accountants or pilots or lawyers. These jobs will disappear because algorithms can look after them. Now, if you're a high-level financial person, maybe you, you will have a job still. If you're a great lawyer, maybe yeah. you will. But that's, that's, and, and some uh, ditto medicine. I, soon I could put my finger on my fridge and uh, the fridge will tell me that I've got a cold coming tomorrow uh, to take more vitamin C. So these are, these are things where improv, which says yes, to surprising offers mm-hmm. has a lot to tell us 
Okay. And on the other hand, improv at its most profound is how do we have better conversations? Yes. And we're never not going to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Yes, there might be via Skype. Yes, there might be via teleconference. Uh, with email, text, Snapchat, WhatsApp, we're talking in different ways. But there's no real substitute for that eye-to-eye conversation that we can have. Yes. Uh, yes. And that's where improv, again, will show us the importance of real listening. And that when I talk to people who are in virtual teams across the world, I say, you know what, if we could just get together a bit more often. Because yeah. I think you, you buy trust when you yes. look someone in the eye. Yeah. Uh, now, you that's do, expensive. Absolutely. And you can't get that on Skype. You can't get that on FaceTime. No. Uh, but if you see each other for a day every few months, then that is a real uh, valuable investment. Yeah, to connect and adapt and and all, and all those things, those very very human skills. And, and like like you're saying about, I've listened to loads. I listen to loads of podcasts, and there's one I was listening to from some guys in Silicon Valley about how artificial intelligence is adapting so quickly that you're right. You can stick your finger on a fridge and it'll tell you what day you were born and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it, and it will be. You know, we we will live in those times sooner than we think. And uh, to be more human would just seem to be the more valuable thing to do. Yeah, right. there'll be new ways of distributing stuff, but we'll always want to talk to a real human being yes. in person, whatever that is. And stories uh, will continue. That's that's a new thing, story, uh, narrative in sort of technical language, if you like. Uh, that's a, another thing that uh, is going back to what would appear to be an old technology. Uh, PowerPoint, some people are actually saying we, we, we shouldn't have PowerPoint because it's summarizes complex situations yeah. in a way that isn't helpful so uh, yeah yeah vuca that will be final VUCA. word i suppose we're in a vuca world and all of those four words apply yes. to improv don't they yes can you just reprise what they were um, vulnerability uh, uncertainty uncertainty complexity um, ambiguity ambiguity right, yeah that's that's definitely the topic for a future now, podcast <laughs> And you, if you could, she's probably far too busy than that. But the V, uh, vulnerability, Brene Brown. She's like Renee, but with a B. Yeah. Brene Brown. Uh, when I was asked to do a TEDx talk, I said, "Look at Brene," and she's got two, and they're just beautiful uh, about vulnerability and how vulnerability is the source of creativity, is the source of leadership. Quite the opposite of what you might right. think, uh, because from our vulnerability we learn, and without being vulnerable we yeah, won't learn. That's that's brilliant. I, I think I've seen that. I might have seen that TED talk even just in in in, in the way that the universe is interconnected. Neil, <laughs> so you have yeah. so much. Yeah, do you just want to? Is there anything you're working on at the minute? Do you want to plug? You mentioned a book that you're working on. Well, um, I'm going to be doing a book. I'm currently writing it and hitting myself uh, with, with a sharpened stick virtually every week. Uh, but it will be ready. It'll be released in October, and I'll be doing a, a, a session at the London Business Forum. The book is about soft skills or not so soft skills. We're we're still toying with the title because people have different opinions: soft yes. skills, people skills, yeah. social skills, personal impact. What does that mean? Is it a good thing? Is it something that doesn't make sense to them? So we're we're we're, we're looking for a cheeky title. In fact, we think Squidgy <laughs> is quite a good title, as in Squidgy for soft. Yes, you know, Squidgy is a bit more adaptable, flexible. Yeah. Uh, it makes yes. people laugh. Uh, we looked into, we're, we're not quite sure. So can your podcast listeners let me know? What do you think of Squidgy? So it might be yeah. Squidgy, dot, 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 social skills for the 21st century or something like that. We'll see. But uh, we did look into even getting 
a squidgy book. Oh, you know, wow. the front cover is a bit squidgy, but it's absurdly expensive. So uh, if there's a publisher out there or somebody who understands these, th- not who understands books, then they might say, "Well, I, know, I, can, I can get you some squidgy yeah. things <laughs> that won't cost uh, an arm and seven <laughs> legs." But uh, that's the uh, that's the plan. So the book is coming out. The comedy store players continue. It'll be our thirty second anniversary wow. in October. Um, I'm actually. Oh yeah, when when does this, this podcast, podcast go out? will go out um, towards the end of February? Oh, okay, well, I'm doing a, a session at Westminster Business School on March the sixth, but that won't suit everybody because yeah. it's in London. But uh, that's another thing I'm doing. I don't do many opens. Most of my stuff is in-house for organisations or business yeah. schools. John, thank you very much. And I and uh, of course the com- comedy store players every Wednesday and Sunday. Uh, we love me people from all over the country all around the world really who come and say hello we have bulgarian improvisers we have lithuanian improvisers we have norwegians who come very regularly americans of course from from uh, many improv troops uh, and who who, uh, will tell us about their adventures so come and say hello if ever you are at the comedy store on a wednesday or sunday neil thank you so much for coming on the podcast pleasure Thanks for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed it, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher or the Facebook page. The website, bringabrinkpodcast.com, has detailed show notes for all the guests with links to them and their work. If you want to contact me, John Cooper, get in touch and I'll do my best to answer your questions or point you in the right direction. There is a Patreon page where you can help fund the production of the show. If you're enjoying what you're listening to and want to become a Patreon, please click on the link on the website homepage. Contributions go towards website hosting, the time it takes to produce the show, it takes ages, and allows me to work on new content that's hopefully valuable, entertaining and informative. Contributions are based on every new episode released. Personally, I believe that good production values are key to getting more exposure, so everything is greatly received. Just think of it like you're buying me a coffee. And I'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>